Jeremy, I summon you as usual because I <laughs> yes. I have a sports historical query here, right? Like I'm a Yankee fan. You are? I grew up on this planet bathed in the history. Mm -hmm. It just feels to me, and I want you to tell me if you feel this way as an actual sports historian, it feels to me like nobody takes their history more seriously than the New York Yankees. No, there's no doubt about that. And why wouldn't they? I mean, they are far and away the defining franchise in Major League Baseball. I mean, what they have done since... 1922, exactly 100 years ago when they won their first World Series, is incredible. 27 World Series championships. 40 pennants. But it goes way beyond that because it's not just about the numbers, it's about the history that has been made by players wearing the Yankees uniform. Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, yes, the past, yes. the present. There are nine players in the Baseball Hall of Fame who never played a single game for any team other than the Yankees. Mm. There are two more players in the Hall of Fame who played between them five total games for another franchise. So we're talking about essentially 11 players who played only for the New York Yankees who are in the Hall of Fame. And Jeremy, these are names that have been enshrined, memorialized for all time at Monument Park, right? And Monument Park, for those who are not initiated, is an actual, very unironic, very sincere place of worship in the outfield of Yankee Stadium. There's nothing else like it. Nobody else has this history. When you walk out, I think it's still there onto the field. There's a sign, you know, as you're walking from one of the hallways in the stadium out to the field. I want to thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee. Yes. That's what Joseph Paul DiMaggio said, right? And They, they mean it. We they mean, mean it. it. Yes. They mean it 100%. <laughs> That's the Yankees. Mm. There, there's the Yankees and there's everybody else. But there is one figure, Jeremy, that has been completely erased from these history books. It is the figure that I, as a Yankee fan, had never even come close to hearing about. And that's no accident, Pablo. The figure we're talking about, this unnamed figure, could have been huge, could have been a Mantle or DiMaggio, but through circumstances outside his control, he was made invisible, erased from all the Yankee records, all, all of the history that they treasure. And he was brought to life at a time when I was a kid when the Yankees were utterly dominant. They appeared in three consecutive World Series. They won the 77 and 78 World Series. And more than that, they were huge in the zeitgeist. Yes. It was the team of Reggie Jackson, the most exciting star in baseball. And, you know, Greg Nettles was on this team and Ron Guidry and Chris Shambliss and all these great stars. And when I reported this story initially, this sad what might have been story, I asked them. Do you remember? <laughs> they don't remember who we're talking about either. He was there. He was part of the team, part of the franchise. I asked Bucky Dent. What do you remember about the great Yankee mascot? What mascot? I don't, we had a mascot? I asked Goose Gossage. I'll be damned. Looks like Yosemite Sam. I even asked Mr. October himself. 
Reginald Martinez Jackson. I don't think it went over too well because I've already forgotten. But Jeremy, it is incumbent upon me at this point to point out that we all heard a noun, a word just then coming out of the mouth of, I believe, Bucky Dent. And that word is mascot. That's right. One thing you do not associate the New York Yankees with is whimsy. (laughs) That's correct. Mascots are the height of whimsy. And in the late 1970s, the Yankees, it's shocking, right? Decided they wanted a mascot, a furry, fuzzy mascot. And they went out and they created one, Dandy, as in Yankee Doodle. (laughs) And this is the story of his whole too brief existence and the sad demise of a figure in Yankees history who might have been great, who might have been a legend, but instead was done in by a fatal and fateful confluence of circumstance and the ire of George Steinbrenner. I'm the sort of Yankee fan who grew up believing that Mystique and Aura are not just dancers in a nightclub, as Kurt Schilling once dismissed them. I grew up believing that there is something sincerely special about Yankee Stadium and the lineage and the legacy of Ruth and Gehrig and Mantle and Maris and Jeter and Rivera. I grew up believing that the New York Yankees really are the team that had everything. But today... Jeremy Schapp tells us the story of the one thing that the Yankees never had, it turns out. The one piece of pinstripe lore that has been deliberately erased, discarded into the dustbin of history, where a mascot named Dandy is still waiting for someone to remember what might have been. I'm Pablo Torre. It is Friday, July 29th. This is ESPN Daily. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So, Jeremy, where does the whole saga of Dandy, the long-lost and long-forgotten Yankee mascot, start? Where does it begin? So, look, it's very simple. You got a situation in baseball in the 1970s where the old game is evolving. And baseball, you know, sees the rising popularity of the NFL, and it's trying to be part of the culture in a way that it hasn't made an effort to be in the past. And 
one of the key elements of that approach is the birth of the baseball mascot. Mm. You know, the mascot, the fuzzy guy in the big costume running around and he's heckling the umpires and he's creating skits and he's reminding us that hey this is a game for children it's entertainment this is supposed to be entertainment and the yankees of course i I hate to keep coming back to this they're not about entertainment no they're about dominance they're about steamrolling well this was the era jeremy of mascots of puppets right this is the era of muppets this was this was the golden age in so many ways this is the age of jim henson with Sesame Street, The Muppet Show, creating these characters. And it was inevitable that the, you know, the world of the Muppets in its way would also enter the world of sports. So a few key things happen in 1978 in baseball. You get the Fanatic in Philly. You get Yuppie in Montreal. And, and now it seems, you know, here comes the deluge. Maybe the biggest figure, at least this is in my memory, going back to 1978 when I was eight, nine years old, the biggest figure in American popular culture at the time was Miss Piggy. Oh, you shouldn't have. And the same team that created Miss Piggy gave us the Philly Fanatic. Jeremy, this gives après moi le déluge a whole new meaning. <laughs> That's right. Moi. (laughs) I just want to pause and say how proud I am of that line. That was excellent. That was very well done. That was a multi-level Miss Piggy and Louis the 15th reference for those scoring at home. And Jeremy Schaap is the only person who could possibly appreciate it on all of those levels. But as for the emperor in Yankee Stadium, Jeremy, George Steinbrenner, the boss, surveying his empire, standing atop his perch, looking with all of his pathological competitiveness at all of these teams introducing mascots, right, in the 70s. And we're talking about the Philly Fanatic, of course, and Yuppie in Montreal, and Bernie the Brewer in Milwaukee, and Oriole Bird and Fred Bird in Baltimore and St. Louis, respectively. How does Steinbrenner react to this furry arms race? You know, and George M. Steinbrenner III, the principal owner of the New York Yankees, you know, he was um, he was bigger in baseball at that time than mm. Jerry Jones is now in football. You know, he was the guy who owned the franchise in the sport. They were winning. They were doing it in an exciting way, and he was hyper-competitive. Winning's important to me. It's second. It's second to breathing. Breathing's first, winning's second. He wants excitement. He wants fannies in the seats. You know, remember, um, as great as the Yankees were at this time, it's not like they were drawing three million people a year. You wanted kids going to the ballpark. And remember, in the 1970s, as great as the Yankees were, getting people to go to the South Bronx wasn't easy. No. And so you give them you know, Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog, an animal on the field, uh, the kids are going to show up, mm-hmm. right? That's what he saw, and he wanted part of it. But because Steinbrenner passed away in 2010, Jeremy, how did you suss out how the boss felt about this, about his views on mascots back in the 70s? So, you know, in many ways, Pablo, you know, people who know the Yankees over the course of the last 50 years um, Mm. are very familiar 
with a man named Ray Negron. Yeah. Who's been part of the fabric of the franchise for a long time. He's been community director for the team. He was a bat boy for the team. Uh, George Steinbrenner personally hired him when he was a teenager, uh, a kid from the South Bronx. Yeah, one of these human heirlooms. He was my babysitter. What? Yeah, I've got pictures of oh, that. Just, of course he is. Of course he was. Arguably, no one knew the mind and the motivations of George Steinbrenner better than Ray Negron. The George Steinbrenner of the 70s, 80s was a very tough man. You're seeing the Philly fanatic and the San Diego chicken. And you could see his eyes and his mind was working. George Steinbrenner wasn't one to be outdone. George Steinbrenner wanted to do something. He wanted to do it right. So he went to the best in the business at creating mascots, at creating fuzzy, furry, lovable characters. And that team was Bonnie Erickson and Wade Harrison. They had worked for Jim Henson. Mm. They were there, you know, helping create these figures who would become so important in the lives of not just American kids, but kids all over the world, right? Absolutely. And then they got into the business of creating mascots. And they created the Philly Fanatic. And they created Yuppie in Montreal. And so George Steinbrenner, of course, you know, wasn't going to take his chances with some novice mascot creator he went to the best. I was surprised, actually, that they even wanted to have a mascot. Of course, Mr. Steinbrenner did have a reputation, and we were well aware of it. And so the question, the existential question, Jeremy, of design, how does one design a mascot, and specifically mm. the mascot for the Yankees, how does this question get answered? Well, it's really in Bonnie Erickson's head. You know, and she does some research and she looks at, you know, old photographs of the Yankees. And, and she decides that the key element is going to be this old timiness. I went and looked at a lot of old uniforms and I decided it would be a character sort of out of the past. He had red hair and he had red mustache and he was big and he had a hat that would spin around. A dyed-in-the-wool Yankee. He's bulbous in a way that most of those other mascots are kind of pear-shaped, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's got the, you've got to have the Yankee pinstripes because they're slimming. <laughs> of course. They're a brighter blue because they've got a pop than the Yankees darker than navy blue, almost black blue. Yep. And then he's got a big fuzzy mustache and he's got a spinning Yankees cap on top of his head. Jeremy, I would just venture to say that this character looks like a freak. <laughs> well, that's what mascots look like, right? What does the fanatic look like? But Jeremy, it's so much weirder than that, man. Like he's got, Dandy has this awkwardly large Yankee cap on his head. There's this interlocking NY over his heart, which I guess is fine. But the pinstripes that he's wearing aren't a jersey. They're like tattooed onto his fur. And he's got this big nose and this droopy red mustache. And he mostly, he mostly looks like George Steinbrenner took LSD and was asked to imagine Yosemite Sam. It is completely and utterly bizarre. I, I, I don't know if there's a mascot who isn't bizarre, but I would, I would say that it's stranger coming this whole package in a Yankees uniform. Because that's not who they are. Correct. That's never been who they are. The Yankees are about dignity, right? The Yankees are about lording it over the rest of baseball. About not having names on the back of your jersey, because even that is de classe. Right. They are aristocracy. 
And a mascot is a court jester by definition. Yes. So yes. the Yankees and a mascot, it's just this dissonance that could not be overcome. So this court jester who's carrying around a bat called the super bopper bat and has this big Yankees cap that spins around Jeremy and he has a glove. Who do they hire to be that guy? Well, this is really, to me, Pablo, the saddest part of the story. Because the young man who wins the tryout to become the Yankees mascot, he's a recent college graduate. He's a kid named Rick Ford. And he wants to get into show business. And to him, this is like Mark Hamill getting the role of Luke Skywalker. <laughs> this is the chance of a lifetime. My roommate said, this is going to be amazing. The Yankees don't do anything half-assed. I mean, you're going to be a star. Now, true, no one would ever see his face. But, you know, I mean, there have been great figures in entertainment. You don't necessarily always see their faces, right? No, he wanted to be like James Earl Jones being Darth Vader. You know, he wanted to be Frank Oz as Yoda, one of these guys behind the mask who, who knew glory for that reason. Right. Dandy was meant to be a part of the fabric of the Yankee franchise. And the Yankees are an organization, again, we come back to, if they're going to do it, it's going to be first class. So young Rick Ford is preparing to play the role of a lifetime, of many lifetimes if he plays his cards right. How are preparations going for this debut? He's now all in. The Yankees are all in. They're strategizing about the launch of Dandy, how they're going to introduce him to the public. We were planning a big debut, and I was going to come out on top of a big truck from the bullpen to a theme song for the mascot. I mean, so Rick is ready. The Yankees are ready. And he is going to own New York. And the Yankees are the two-time defending World Series champions. What could possibly go wrong, Pablo? <laughs> After the break, how a game 3,000 miles away from Yankee Stadium ensured that everything was about to go wrong. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, Jeremy, we are in the summer of 1979, and young Rick Ford cannot wait for Yankee Stadium for the public to finally meet him as Dandy. But... The Yankees first have some bit of business on the West Coast. And what happens there? It's one of those stories. It's almost impossible to like wrap your head around it, Pablo, because it, it's, it's so unlikely that the events would unfold in this particular way. So the Yankees are in Seattle and the Mariners are in their third season of existence And Ron Guidry, who's coming off one of the greatest seasons any starting pitcher has ever had, Mm -hmm. is heading to the ballpark. And who happens to be leaving the hotel at the same time, heading to the ballpark, but the king of all mascots, the San Diego Chicken, who's not even a mascot. He's an icon. He transcends mascots. He is Zeus. At this moment, Pablo, I assume you're asking yourself, as anyone would, what is the San Diego chicken doing in Seattle for a Yankees-Mariners game? There's no interlude play or anything like that. Well, here's, here's an interesting thing. The San Diego chicken is not the Padres mascot. The San Diego chicken happens to perform in San Diego. He's from San Diego. But at this moment in time, especially, he's having a little conflict with the organization in San Diego. And so he says, I'm taking my act up the coast to Seattle. Wait, so so this, the San Diego chicken becomes a soldier of fortune. He becomes a chicken of fortune. He is a mercenary chicken. <laughs> so he finds himself in a taxi on the way to the kingdom with Ron Guidry. And they decide, hey, let's have some fun. You know, we'll, we'll do a little shtick together. And Ron Guidry's game, Ron Guidry's... A fun-loving guy. Yeah, Louisiana Lightning, sure. Louisiana Lightning from Lafayette, Louisiana. So they decide, because Guidry is from Louisiana, that they're going to do some kind of, like, voodoo thing where he's going to, the chicken, when Guidry is pitching, is going to, like, cast a, there's going to be a hex or a spell, something like that, and Guidry's going to play along. There's only one problem, Pablo, with this plan. Guidry neglects to inform his teammates (laughs) that this is the plan and that, you know, he's in on this joke with the chicken. And one of his outfielders, Lou Pinella, is unamused. That particular day, the Mariners were beating us again. And then they rub it in your face by bringing the chicken and the due promotion. The chicken is trying to put a hex on... um, on Guidry, and he thinks it's distracting him. He started with his plucking and then stuff. It really peed me off. Pinella is unamused and expresses his displeasure and gets into a, a tiff with the San Diego chicken. Now, Tom, get the heck off the field. Probably a little stronger than that, you know? <laughs> Do you remember what you said after the game when reporters asked you about the incident? This is a baseball game. This is not a a comedy show, you know? You don't need a mascot. I mean, and there's no social media or anything, but Lou Pinella, he's angry at the chicken. And so this sparks a debate about the role of mascots in baseball in general. 
And of course, Guidry could have like, you know, if he had chosen to, I think could have like lowered the temperature on the whole thing by saying, hey, I was in on it. But I I think at that point, uh, Lou was a little too far gone and he didn't want to get in his way. What is this debate, this conversation about mascots in general? What does this mean for Dandy back in the Bronx? Nothing good. Nothing good. So, of course, so of course, Lou Piniella gets into a fight with the San Diego chicken. And who would the writers go to naturally for reaction? None other than George M. Steinbrenner III, who has decided that the Yankees are entering the mascot arms race. You know, they've already yes. created Dandy. They're going to launch him soon, but they haven't announced that to the world. So the reporters ask, hey, George, what do you think about mascots? You heard what Lou had to say. And he says, oh, mascots stink. They shouldn't be in the game. (laughs) And so so for young Rick Ford and for all of the people who put work into birthing this very strange hallucination of a mascot named Dandy, what happens instead? Well, of course, they were disappointed when they read George's comments about mascots in general and confused since he had championed the creation of Dandy, you know, and it's very much like the old Seinfeld episodes with George Costanza sitting in the office and Larry David playing George Steinbrenner and people not really knowing how to read his moods. And so it's like, well, he, he said we've got this mascot, but he also said he, he never wants to see the mascot on the field. What do we do? Right. You don't want to contradict the boss. So what do you do when the boss contradicts himself? That's a, that's a very elegant way of putting it. And the answer is you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they go ahead with this you know grand opening, if you will, of the dandy show and... Wade Harrison and Bonnie Erickson are in the owner's box with George Steinbrenner. And this is, this is the moment. This is the big time. They're in the South Bronx at Yankee Stadium. And, and they're looking. And they're looking. Where is our creation? We're invited to sit in Mr. Steinbrenner's box. And Wade and I are sitting, looking around and looking around, saying, where is he? Where is he? We looked. And <laughs> believe me, we looked. <laughs> We were looking all over the place. And so where is Rick, Jeremy? Where is the guy in the dandy costume who had been waiting, preparing for this moment? So Rick is waiting for, you know, Bob Shepard to say, <laughs> and now... Now dancing. <laughs> now dancing. And none of that happens. There is no grand welcome. There is no christening of dandy. There is no big moment. Instead, he's kind of hidden. I came out in the hallway, and a couple of people, I scared the hell out of them, you know? And, uh, you know, what the hell? What, what, what is that thing? You know, and it was but like... When were you introduced to the public? N- never. Wait, so Jeremy, just to be very clear here, Dandy is essentially disappeared. Like, nobody ever gets to lay eyes on him? Well, not exactly, Pablo. He's he's told that he can't go on the field, which, you know, certainly is a detriment. Um, <laughs> to the job of mascotting. To, right. And he's told that he can't stand on the dugouts. 
you know, which is kind of where the mascots live for much of the game. Yeah, that's 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 your stage. And he's told basically to stay out of George Steinbrenner's way. <laughs> like 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 there are there are guys working in the Yankees marketing department who are like they, they don't know whether to hide him entirely from George Steinbrenner or to continue with, you know, the dandy experiment. And so they're 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 caught in this no man's land, this no dandy land. And so as all of this is happening, Jeremy, does anybody notice? Does anybody notice? Does anybody have empathy for Dandy's plight? Hardly anyone. Hardly anyone. So, you know, so Dandy is wandering around aimlessly in the stadium. He can't go near the field. He can't go on the dugout. <laughs> He's really a mascot without a country, <laughs> without a team. And it's, and it's sad. And a young sports reporter covering the sport at the time sees what's going on and decides he is going to help Rick Ford slash Dandy because this is just tragic. And he figures the only way of doing so is to actually put on the mascot uniform, put on this costume himself to demonstrate the possibilities of Dandy. Hi, folks. I'm Dandy, the mascot of the New York Yankees. But like a lot of other high-priced stars around the Bronx these days, I haven't been getting all that much playing time. So, Mr. Steinbrenner, play me or trade me? So, Jeremy, I'm looking at this video, and it, it seems to be a video of... A 12-year-old Bob Costas wearing this hallucination of a suit. And when you talk to Bob himself, I presume, in the present day about that, what did he have to say? He was wistful. You know, I've been to Yankee Stadium many times. I've talked to many Yankees. Never once has anyone mentioned Dandy. I mean, if anyone could put into context... If anyone could um, could sum up the significance of the possibilities of Dandy and the realities of Dandy, of course, it would be Bob Costas. Dandy was like a comet racing across the sky. He was there and then he was gone, never to be heard from again and largely forgotten. But what about the players, Jeremy? What about his actual teammates, coworkers on the field? Like, what did they think of him? Not much, Pablo. I mean, they were largely unaware of his existence. Mm. Maybe Rick Cerrone, the catcher. I think he said he might have remembered. But the players mostly, he was a phantom. He was a phantom dandy because he was not allowed to go near them. He was made to feel extremely unwelcome. Almost anywhere he went at Yankee Stadium, he was a pariah in this silly suit. So when did the experiment formally, Jeremy, when did the dandy experiment formally get 86th? The end of the 1981 season. So we're talking about two and a half years here. 1981, the Yankees win the American League pennant. Again, they win the AL East and they win the ALCS again over the Kansas City Royals. And at the end of that season, the contract was up, and it's my understanding, I think technically, Pablo, I'd have to go back and uh, do some research. It was actually Bonnie and Wade mm. who ended the contract. They didn't want any part of this anymore because they were disappointed. 
They took Dandy back from the Yankees because he had been disrespected. The Yankees, my sense was at the time, and again, it's been a few years, would probably have in perpetuity kept renewing the contract because no one wanted to confront George Steinbrenner with this failure. (laughs) And by bringing it up to him, he might have said, well, where's he been the last two years? So so it was easier to keep him in purgatory than to send him to hell. Exactly. And so what happened, though, physically, Jeremy? What happened to the corpus uh, of Dandy? Uh, the evidence was destroyed, Pablo. What happened to Dandy? We were getting rid of some of the spaces in our warehouse. We had a lot of things that we were restoring. And so we shredded him. He was shredded. Dandy was, uh, he was shredded. He was shredded. I have, there's no <laughs> elegant way of putting it. Oh, no. <clears throat> there's, there's no, there's no euphemism for shredding. I apologize for laughing, but I'm just getting the visual now of that creature, of that freak, that lovable, inanimate freak. Just Although now he wasn't inanimate when Rick was inside him, but he was not shredded alongside with Rick. Let me make that very clear. That is an important clarification. It was only the costume. Can you recall, Bonnie, what emotions you were feeling when you shredded Dandy? I have to admit, it was fine with me. (laughs) I mean, I don't think Dandy or anyone else other than the chicken and Lou Pinnell and George Steinbrenner can really be blamed for what happened. And Lou Pinnell is very proud of the fact that he played a role in this, I should point out. You know, he, he, he does not regret it at all. <laughs> he remains anti-mascot. And so as Lou Pinella is is, you know, still dancing on Dandy's grave, it does raise the question of, is there a grave? Like, where is his burial place? Is there any place like a monument park, Jeremy, <laughs> where one can go and pay tribute to this long-lost member of the Empire? No. There's no potter's field. Um, I guess your best guess, our best guess, would be he, he'd be, uh, you know, landfill. In the landfill, oh no! You know he was shredded, and he was put in a trash can in Brooklyn, uh, where Harrison and Erickson have long lived, and uh, he found his way, like so much other cultural detritus from the late seventies and early eighties, to a landfill on Staten Island. So, Jeremy, at the very end here, I do have to admit something, right? Like I am now feeling some hangs of nostalgia for a thing that I have never had. I, I, I wonder, now that we're 40 years, more than 40 years removed from Dandy's birth and death, I'm wondering whether, like, the Yankees could take another swing at this. I'm watching them be awesome again this season, and I feel like this is a thing that could add something special. You know what? I, I would like to think so. I would like to think that as a franchise more than any other, as we have established here, that values and treasures, cherishes its history. You can't just, you can't just discard. You can't just shred the parts you don't like. You've got to acknowledge it. And Dandy is part of that history. 
Whether the Yankees like it or not, he is part of that history. Dandy didn't do anything to deserve what happened here. He was a victim, as we said, of circumstance, of timing, of George Steinbrenner and Lou Pinella and the San Diego Chicken and Ron Guidry not telling Lou Pinella what was going on. Mm. This could have gone very differently. You know, it was John Greenleaf Whittier, Pablo, who of course said, of all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these, what might have been. That's how I feel about Dandy. <laughs> Jeremy Schapp, our poet, our historian, with history unshredded, literally still at his fingertips. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Pablo. Man. What a dismount. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andy Tennant, Chris Tuminello, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Jason Costura, Mike Shallow, Andre Soto, Jalen Harris, Ty Reeves, and Jackson Agelo. I'll talk to you Monday.